Holy motherfucking shirt balls. On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are off to the good place as Michael Scher's afterlife extravaganza makes its way to E4. We'll then be heading to Castle Rock, home of the chilling Stephen King compilation series, Castle Rock, which finally makes its way to these shores. And because it wouldn't be Pilot without Terry banging on about some true crime documentary, we'll also be heading to the bad place where we take a look at people murderizing other people in Netflix's The Innocent Man. This is the Pilot TV Podcast. I'm James Dyer, and according to the comedy rule of threes, this is officially the last episode I'm allowed to spend banging on about Vikings and using my slightly dodgy Viking accent. However, however, never let it be said that I'm unprepared to bludgeon a joke to death. So I'm going to bring to bear a neat little thing that one of our listeners, one Alan Willey, brought to my attention on Twitter. Apparently, and this is true, you can tell your Viking name by saying your first name backwards and combining it with your worst personality trait. So, in true Norse fashion, we shall continue. This is the Pilot TV Podcast. I'm your host, Semaj the Petronizing, and joining me this week are two noble warriors, destined to be shat upon by Great Odin's ravens in the halls of Valhalla. To my left, we have a veteran of many battles, a shield maiden whose brash northern tones are feared throughout Daneland. It is Iret, the unspeakably untidy, Hello, Iret. Hello. What is it? Semaj, the patronising. Semaj, you see, I remembered the bit, the patronising. It was the <laughs> other you, bit. Terry? Well done. I was struggling with. <laughs> I, can I just say that I, uh, I find it astonishing that you think that's my worst trait. Yeah, I mean, it's up there. I had, I'm, I, I had a bounty of things to choose from. I was very tense in the build-up. So that was which, which personality <laughs> trait of Terry's are you going to choose? Yeah. Which kaleidoscope <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of my uh, personality? <laughs> which which cornucopia? Oh, I wanted to do one that worked, but also wouldn't get me fired. So it was yeah, a fine line are, James, to walk. Brilliant job, mate. <laughs> Thank you. And y- you've heard him already. But uh, joining Iret and myself is another brave warrior. Drinker of mead and pillager of small out-of-town branches of HMB. It is Diob, the name dropper. Ah. Hello, Diob. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that's fine. I cannot definitely deny that I'm a name dropper. Yeah, I think that's fair. Give us a name. Um, well, I'll give, you, I'll give you Jamie Dornan, who I interviewed this week. It's a slight spoiler of what I'm going to say in the next section oh, really? segment. But yeah, I interviewed, I interviewed the Dornan. Fifty Shades of Hot. <laughs> Are we talking about him or you? Both of us. You together. Yes. Wow. We were both wearing navy blue jumpers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure and, you were. You know. Did you we touch his navy blue jumper yeah, we, we with your <laughs> navy blue jumper? We did, because we stood side by side, and he gave me a mini hug. A, a mini, mini a, what? A semi. A semi hug. He gave you a semi gave hug. A semi wow. Hug. Extraordinary. Was it satisfying? It was deeply satisfying. I think we should segue straight from that into what we're watching. So, Boyd, what have you been watching with Jamie Dornan? What I've been watching with Jamie Dornan is Death of Nightingales. That's why I was interviewing him for um, a thing. And um, we talked. We reviewed it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Terry was very positive. I was slightly less positive. Terry was right. Because I watched episodes two and three. Episode two has a brilliant... 10-minute um, one-on-one scene between Anne Skelly, the main actress in it, who's phenomenal, and Matthew Reese is her creepy um, kind of stepfather. And it goes on. It's brilliant set-piece piece of drama. And the ending's really interesting and just really works. So even though it starts off slowly, which I did say to Jamie Dornan after I'd interviewed him, I said, 
he said, what did you think of it? You know, <laughs> it's like, well boring, mate. I thought it started off slowly. He was like, oh, but then it got really good. <laughs> I did say, but then it got really good. But I did tell him that it started off slowly. What did you expect the Dornan to say at that point? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it was a moment of grotesque stupidity. Hey, Dornan. Yeah. Slow TV. <laughs> slow TV. It's really in. It's really hip right now. He was fine with it. He was, he was absolutely, he was, he was great. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this has probably damage your prospects with him long term as a celebrity mm. friend. It's going to be you no be more right. uh, yeah. Navy jumper yeah, you're right, happenings. Yeah. Yeah. A-listers demand full-on uh, compliments at all times. Well, what I can't understand is you are well known for being far too nice and loving everything. <laughs> and you choose your one moment to break character <laughs> yeah. as being when you're confronted with lovely Do you know Jamie why it Dornan. Was? Do you know why it was? Because we'd already recorded our review of that show on this very podcast. And I thought, maybe, maybe he, listen, he will have listened to it and he'll think, what... A liar if I go out and it's the best fast moving, most immediately gripping thing I've ever seen in my life. So I knew I'd already said in this very on this thing that I thought was a bit slow. So I just couldn't lie. But then I didn't have to say it, obviously, to him. Oh, God. Yeah. I do love the fact you presume he listens to this. I've done. Hello, Jamie Dornan, if you're listening. You you may say that, but actually, at the end of it, I think his publicist said, Oh, they do a really good podcast. And I think he said, I'm going to listen to it. Hi, Jamie. Jamie, mate, I hope you... Please, please, Jamie, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Uh, Feel free to name Chet Boyd. That's absolutely fine. Fine. Yeah, if you want to do two reviews, one just for Boyd (laughs) and the other one for the rest of us and the pod, then that would be fine as well. Review Boyd as your friend Mm. and then just review the podcast as a thing. Say, Boyd, he's, I don't know, he's all right, but he's a bit slow. Yeah, I mean, he is. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely review it and rate it. All right, thanks, Diob, that's good. Irret. <laughs> so, I hope this sticks, by the way. Uh, so, as is customary at this time of year, I have been watching, re-watching Christmas specials of great TV shows. So, so far in the last two weeks, since I put on my Christmas tree, and yes, my Christmas tree has been up two weeks, what <laughs> of it? I have watched The Office Christmas Special. I have watched yes. uh, Gavin and Stacey Christmas Special. Which and I'm in. I'm going to have to go back and watch this yeah, because I right do not remember Boyd Hilton's Terry, face. Terry, it's the very first scene. So, you know, they, they, they go to Marks and Spencer's. He goes to Marks and Spencer's, Smithy, and he goes to see Stacey to get her some advice. And the very first scene, there's a little bit in the, in the um, you know, the place where all the knickers are in Marks and Spencer's and I'm sifting through them. You're sifting. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. You're sniffing knickers in Marks and through. Spencers. I'm sifting this through. This is a scene the I stock, definitely don't In the remember. stock cupboard. What are you sifting through the knickers I'm for? I'm an M&S employee. Oh, oh are you, you could have yeah. said that before. Are you now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Method acting. And I'm vi- absolutely visible, honestly. It's about 30 seconds into the show. Boyd, knickered, knicker, sifter, Yeah, knicker, sifter. The old knicker sniffer. That's where you are now. Um, can I just ask, yeah. how did you come to be sifting um, or sniffing or whatever they, it is you're doing? Because they invited me on set to, for a feature in Heat. And so is this how you became celebrity friends with James Gordon? Partly. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's get away from a Boyd's knicker yes. sniffing. Sorry, that was an interruption sifting, to your... Sniffing, sifting. Yes. Um, and then last night I watched the Royal Family Christmas oh. special where Nana died, Liz Smith at her finest. Proper crying my eyes out at that. And that's the thing about amazing Christmas specials have to do so much heavy lifting, I think, because you've got, you know, one part or two part, but it's essentially a few hours of telly to tell a standalone singular 
incredible little story that has its own arc, is funny, is touching, and makes you cry. And those are the kind of things that every Christmas special has to do. The Office, I think, is one of the greatest Christmas specials of all time. I think those three uh, yeah, that you mentioned are among the greatest. Definitely The Office is probably number one, although The Good Life is an absolute cast Here he is, once again. <laughs> Mr. Modern. Are you in The Good Life, boy? <laughs> are you <laughs> sifting no. knickers no. in the Christmas special of The Good Life? But watching it when I was about nine was definitely one of the formative moments of my life. Yeah. How come none of you have pegged on the correct answer to this, which is, of course, a very Downton Christmas? <laughs> down- was it actually called that? No. You made that up. That's your own I title. I think it might have been. First I don't all, know why in my head yeah. it's called that. There were three, at least, Downton Christmas It might have episodes. been called one of them, I'm sure, was called a Downton Christmas. I, I, I might have made that a up. A very down, Definitely not very. <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless. I, you <laughs> I know, Lady Mary, Mr. Carson. Oh, it's extraordinary. Oh, it's like being back with family, right, James? <laughs> I can't how be- I see Christmas. I can't believe that you you abandoned the nerd world for a bit of Downton Abbey. I love Downton Abbey. It's, it's so awesome. unlikely. I really liked it. I must admit, the last season lost me a little bit. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, 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 I lost patience with the last season yeah. a bit. I didn't really... I mean, I watched it, but I, I was not really concentrating. <laughs> uh, I am, however, really looking forward to the Downton Abbey movie, which is going into production, and firmly, firmly believe I shall go on set of that. I am deliberately, <laughs> in my capacity as editor-in-chief of Empire, going to send anyone else on set but you. I think I'm, I think I'm perfectly suited. I think you're too close to the subject matter. <laughs> Hello, Papa. Papa, I have not seen you in four score years and 12. I have not seen you since a very Downton Christmas. <laughs> oh, you people don't know you're born. Right, that's, you know, Christmas ruined and things we're watching sorted. So, shall we talk about news? You still haven't told us which news stories you're covering. Yes. Even though we specifically yes. asked you to tell us in advance. I so did, that we could it's all true. map I, this segment out. I don't feel laziness should be rewarded. I'll be honest with you. Oh, that's, my, uh, that's my I'm position going to on start. This. Oh, yes, come on. Because you've got to be out by a sec. Yep. Um, I'm going to start because we are recording this um, about five o'clock on Thursday. We are. And the Golden Globe mm. nominations came out this afternoon. Um, and we are particularly here at Pilot TV, obviously interested in the telly categories. So a couple of big omissions. I mean, the one that um, we've been talking about in the office here this afternoon is Haunting of Hill House, mm, which nothing. is nowhere to be seen best television series and um, musical or comedy is barry the good place kidding the kaminsky method um and the marvelous mrs Maisel. Maisel? Maisel. 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 um and then we have um best performance by actress in a television series musical or comedy kristen bell candace bergen alison brie rachel brosnahan deborah messing so there's kind of quite a good spread across all the other channels. We were speculating, is there kind of an anti-Netflix feeling here? We couldn't quite work it out. It seems like a massive omission to me not to have Haunting of Hill House, I right, want, yeah, Boyd? Yeah, so I wonder if it's a genre thing as well, you know, because it's, it's, it's an out-and-out horror piece. I wonder whether the, the Ponzi... 80 Golden Globes doofuses who decide this thing just oh that's a horror thing I'm not I'm not mm. you know, I won't be bothered with that where it's in fact an absolute masterpiece yes but it is weird it is it is really weird especially you know I mean Bodyguard's been nominated which is great for best television drama series Homecoming I mean I really like Homecoming but I think Went off the boat. Went no off the maniac, boat. right? No, no maniac, maniac, which I think is correct because it was shite. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it seems it seems, but it seems like a, a mission all the same. Yeah. It definitely caused a few raised eyebrows around here. Yes, yes, yeah. So it, it's it's odd. Definitely, it's maverick. An escape at Danamora 
which is in the best television limited series, which I guess will be the category actually. Yeah. That, yeah because you know it's, it's a self-contained story, um, the Haughty of Hill House and Escape with Daniel, which I haven't seen it. I have to say, it's on around Christmas on Sky here. It hasn't got great reviews, so it's a, it's it's a maverick thing by these Golden Globes people. I mean, they are mavericks. They are. I have. I'll be honest, not much time for Hollywood for, for blah, blah, blah. I can't even say it. I've got so little time for them, I can't even say the words. No. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, for it is they that vote on this. And I think one of the main reasons I think it's a load of old shit is because they put <laughs> The Martian in for best comedy one year. And I, frankly, at that point, they just lost me well, for life. Well, there it is. And they, I mean, the drama category, I have to say, is it does feel a little patchy because you, you do have Bodyguard and you have Killing Eve as well, which I mm. think is perfectly valid. Yeah. Um, Pose, which is obviously, you know, had had loads of hype and mm. loads of talkability around it. Um, and then, as you say, Homecoming and The Americans, it feels quite a random yeah. group of telly. So, yeah. um, so it, it's, it's interesting because you've got to wonder why, what the arguments were against the likes of Haunting of Hill House and Maniac, which arguably, you know, Maniac did some really interesting, innovative things in, in terms of telly as a format, which obviously these people normally love celebrating. They're normally like, yeah. brilliant, wanky innovation. Let's celebrate it. I also think it's really weird in the limited uh, one, uh, Patrick Morris isn't there, whereas The Alienist is. And oh, the yeah. Alienist, the Alienist wasn't that great, you know. It looked great, but I think um, not including Patrick Morris is ridiculous. Can I just, while they're not talking about The Haunting of Hill House, can I just say one very quick thing about The Haunting of Hill House? You really like it and you've just started watching it? <laughs> no, we've covered that bit. But I'm going to say anyone who hasn't already, Google Haunting of Hill House Hidden Ghosts. It is well worth your time. There are hidden ghosts in so many shots in every episode. I mean, there's dozens of them where in a normal scene where something completely unsupernatural is going on, there'll just be a terrifying ghostly figure in the background that you may or may not even consciously see, even though it's in the frame, because you're focused on a different part of the, the scene. You don't notice it, but the stills are all on the internet and it's absolutely terrifying. Do you mean like three men and a baby? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean... They're hidden ghosts. Do I? Hidden ghosts in three men and a baby. Isn't this the Ted Danson cardboard cutout? Isn't that what this it's is? It's a ghost. It's it's it's, it's, it's literally a, a cutout Google, of Ted Danson. Google the ghost in three men and a baby, and you will see the ghost, and it's just like that. Okay, so just like three men and a baby, except not at all like three men and a baby. There are hidden ghosts all the <laughs> way through Haunting of Hill House. Google it, watch it, and then watch the show again. Uh, I think that's a good idea. Can I just tell? Just to go back slightly. Sorry, yeah. James, to in your ghost chat, but. The one kind of one, the big one I disagreed with was Richard Madden for best in the Golden Globes, yeah. Golden Globe for best performance by an actor in a television series dash drama. <laughs> Richard Madden, I'm sorry, psychotic like a thousand yards staring does not count as Golden I, Globe worthy acting. I, I don't think even Richard Madden thinks he should be in that <laughs> list. <laughs> sorry. Did you read the story? I don't know where it was that he when they filmed the Bodyguard he had no, he thought it, he was thought it was going to be crap. <laughs> and, I mean, well, I don't why know would true. he think that? Allegedly, he thought it was going to be crap. And then it became the biggest show ever. Literally the most watched drama in British TV history, practically. And he's like, oh, actually, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm going to do loads of stuff about it. You know who should have been nominated, don't you? Go on. Jamie Dornan, who is a very underrated actor. Who I really like. Oh, he's an extraordinary body of work. Apparently, he's a really nice guy he's as well. He's a lovely guy. I think he and I would make excellent friends. Yeah, <laughs> just just throwing that out there with no agenda. Don't tell him his show's too slow. Where we go. <laughs>
American Gods has got a oh, date. Yeah. That's kind of big news, isn't it? 11th of March 2019, American Gods will be returning to Amazon over here. Frankly, a show which I wondered at some point whether we'd actually see come back because they mm. fired almost everyone. They've stopped. They've started. I mean, it's been quite a perilous production, hasn't it? It was. They fired. What's his name, didn't they? Brian? They did. <laughs> they did. What's his name? He's gone. He is out of the building. <laughs> Hoojima Flip's gone as well. Hoojima Flip! Oh my god, James! Wasn't he good? You are so quaint! (laughs) But thank god, Ricky Whittle is still there in the lead role. That's true. Oh, Ricky. And Ian McShane. It was an incredible series. Did you watch Brown Girls? I mean, it it was just. They had the most incredible sex scenes ever seen on TV. Oh, it did. It did. It was (laughs) super, super unsexy sex scenes. No! They had scenes where. People disappeared into a woman's giant vagina. I mean, what do you mean disappeared into it? Like, I mean, literally that was yeah, consumed was, by not, it. Climbed yeah. inside a woman's yes. vagina? Yeah. Yes. How is it big enough? Well, she's, she's a the goddess. fantasy world. Oh, of, <laughs> oh, oh sorry, yeah. I thought you meant two humans. No. I was trying to work that out. Well, you know. It's like reverse childbirth. She, she ate a man with her vagina. She ate a man with I mean, her vagina. we all do. It's yeah. what we all dream of. It's what all men Can I just do. say, Ricky Whittle, the most <laughs> staggering career, <laughs> yeah. like, transcendence of any kind of actor ever apart. I mean, you know, everybody leaves Hollyoaks and goes, I'm going to go and conquer Los Angeles. And you go, oh, God, yeah. he's going to be back in Hollyoaks in approximately nine months and two weeks. And here we are, Ricky Whittle. Did you never watched The Hundred? No. The sort of young... Yeah, that was his... Yeah, the sort of YA kind of Mm. uh, science fiction show that he he was Lincoln in that. He was like a feral grounder. I uh, can see that. He was in that front. I watched The Hundred. I really enjoyed it. It was was quite sweary and fun in a YA fashion. I think it lost the plot after, you know, the fourth season. Not that I watched (laughs) it that long. Uh, I did. But uh, I don't watch it anymore. But yeah, it was good. good. What's your take on The Whittle? The Whittle, oh, he was good in that. I love a bit of Lincoln, uh, and he's good in he's good in he's good in American Gods as well. So, but, I, but the thing is, I have no knowledge of what you're talking like. Like I've ever watched fucking Hollyoaks. Uh, so, oh yes, you have. I know. Sunday morning, like you're watching James. the omnibus. Never watched it. Never watched Holby City. Don't even really know what it is. Who mentioned uh, Holby City? I'm just saying these are these <laughs> are the shows that you people watch. Uh, I was oh, gonna, oh. oh. I, well, I was also going to say, didn't you have a girlfriend who made you watch Hollyoaks? And then I realised that no, no, you did not have no, a girlfriend. No. I sat at home watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Speaking Brian of Fuller, which, I was thinking of Brian. That's what we said. Brian Uchimaflip. What's his name? He, he was showrunner, wasn't he, on America Girls, and then left for various reasons, yeah. Yes, yeah. he is. Just saying. But speaking of Star Trek. Yes. Speaking of, of Star Trek, of, of course. course, of course. Do we have to? Because he left that show don't. as well, didn't he? What, he Ricky was... Whittle? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. And Brian Fuller. <laughs> He's, I was about to say, he was abs- <laughs> I'd, re- I'd have remembered. Uh, yes, Brian Fuller did, in fact, leave uh, Star Trek Discovery. But Star Trek Discovery is returning for season two in yes. January, which we are all very, very excited about. I've okay. never seen Bo- Boyd, for those listening who can't see what I just saw, Boyd punched the air. He did. In the most un-Boyd Hilton <laughs> movement I have ever seen. Just following up with, ironically, doesn't change well, what just happened. Okay. But you're missing the, the crux of this, is that we now 2019 is bookended with Star Trek goodness because we have Discovery in January, and then at the end of 2019, we are officially getting the Picard Chronicles, which is what I've just called it, but which is which is the continuing the continuing journey, the continuing voyages of the starship Jean Luc Picard uh, as as his series. You know, it's going to kick off at the end of the year, and this is this is him back, it's Patrick Stewart back as Picard. I don't know what else is going on. There will be you know Romulans in the neutral zone and and, and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, but I could not be more excited <laughs> about a thing anywhere ever than this. You know what this means, isn't it? It means he's going to be mooting like a special edition oh, of absolutely. Pilot TV just absolutely. devoted to Star Trek. Yeah. 
We'll just call it the Picard maneuver. Easy <laughs> boy. That's that's really good because it's a reference to, yes. a man, to an actual thing. That's great. Yeah, he does it against the Ferengi. Do you know that when you James Plain, you have a very specific face? I do. Yes. <laughs> have you seen that face ever? It is the face of, you know, patronising. It is the face <laughs> that like. You, it's it's like a TV villain face. A TV villain <laughs> is choosing to massively patronise usually a woman, and you just did that face perfectly. Well, Tony, that's because the Picard <laughs> manoeuvre is when he goes to warp, but only very briefly to close the diff- difference between his me. ship and the Ferengi ship, and therefore and then opening me. fire as soon as he drops back to subspace. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> All right, let's talk about something that you care about. Uh... Watership Down. Have <laughs> <laughs> you really picked that out? Yeah. What, yeah. What's the news about Watership White. Down? There was a trailer. Oh, okay, yeah. There was yeah. a trailer for Watership Down, which we, we should not forget, has an incredible lineup of voice it talent. Does. James McAvoy, Olivia Coleman, uh, Ben Kingsley, John Boyega's in it, Nicholas Holt, Daniel Kaluuya, Til- Daniel Kaluuya uh, Gemma Arterton, and yet, and yet, and yet, the quality of, shall we say, computer graphicry is problematic. Is it? Have you yes. seen it? I saw the trailer. Oh, yeah. But and I... the trailer looked a little bit like a fucking episode of Waybaloo. But I thought... <laughs> I thought that was a deliberate... That <laughs> aesthetic... We're going for but shit sheep. No, but it's quite a um, traditionalist kind of aesthetic, yeah. right? If traditionalist, you go with cel-shaded animation. You do not do shit CGI. No, I, you're I wrong. thought it was meant to look kind of retro... And much more ropey, tra- and, no, and much more traditional. Actually, what I took away from the trailer, Bell End, is that it. <laughs> I thought tonally, because I was worried it was going to be too kind of soft. That all that darkness of Watership Down, which is what makes it amazing and terrifying mm. in equal measure, was going to be cobbed out because it was BBC kind of holiday time. But I thought the tone of it, the kind of doom across the entire thing, w- worked really well, mm. and I was really excited. That that felt like it was still in there because I think that's I think Watership Down without that is not Watership Down. It's basically like Watership Up. Well, TV without Doom is just not your bag, is it? So <laughs> it's no. going to be a massive downer. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, it a Watership Downer. It looks fact. great. It looks great. It, no, it doesn't. Worry about, it I mean, does. it objectively doesn't. I'm sure it will be great, but when it doesn't you, look great. It, it looks. It's, I will say because right. we've almost certainly. Got, you know, Jamie Dornan and his mates from the visual effects department will clearly be listening to this. I will say that I understand that the budgets for this are not quite up there with, you know... Like How do you know that? No, I think they've lavished... What are you basing that on? Yeah, I'm fairly certain... I think they've they lavished a lot of money on 60 it. 60 million quid on this thing, I think, so. I think they were going for a kind of look that's somewhere between traditional animation and the CGI, and it's a different thing. It's just a different aesthetic. It, 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 you just haven't worked it out. Yeah, yes, yes. Fuck, we patronising to you for <laughs> one minute. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say that, James, James Dye, for anybody who's new to James because they've met him through this podcast he states things as complete yeah. facts that he does yeah. not know to be fact yeah. so when he says I am completely sure that they did not spend any money yeah. on this You're what wrong. he means is I don't know but I'm presuming yeah I mean that's fair. They've spent a shitload of money. Yeah, but how much, though? Oh, I don't know. The budget, <laughs> fuck's sake. See, you're now making statements. But in no comparison to a... No, it's, it's a big flagship BBC thing at Christmas. Yeah, but it is also the BBC. You know, it's not... Like, it's not oh. 1979, yeah. James. Which is what I'm saying. And yet I saw the it's trailer. It's also it almost like certainly it. a co-production with some bigger, expensive Americans. Rich Americans. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Boyd is frantically Googling. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, so, so we're saying... Up if, with Watership By the down. way, if you want any other um, Christmas TV news, I can give it to you right now. If you want to know where everything's on. So, Luther's on. All Luther! Four, Luther! Yeah, Luther. Luther. Oh, they're showing all four parts in one in a row. 
Start, oh, starting on New Year's Day. That is my New Year's Day just done right So the there. whole series is done by the end of the week, which is quite bold in a way. Mm. Isn't it? They're just kind of, you know, they're spunking it all up in one, <laughs> in one go, effectively. As one should. As one should. They could have stretched it out. Whereas Les Mis, which is the non-musical, big, huge budget, vast cast drama version, that starts on December 30th and that will be over six weeks. Okay. Rather than splurging it all in one mm. go. And the Agatha Christie adaptation, The ABC Murders, which I've already seen, is fantabulous. And that is is in three parts over consecutive nights, Boxing Day onwards. And oh. it's incredible. John Malkovich as Poirot. And, um, boy, tell us about Christmas and New Year specials. Christmas and New Year specials, um, I mean, they're all a bit shit. Doctor Who Doctor is the big Who, New, Year here, right? New Year one, yeah. So we've been used to and Doctor Who. that's New Year's Day as well. That's New Year's Day, yeah. 7 o'clock. And it's called Resolution. Because it's the finale. What this is what we should mention is that actually this will go out on Monday, yeah. and the Sunday after that is the final episode in yeah. the series. Um, and which I always find really challenging the fact that they're kind of they do the finale and yeah. then they obviously have to follow it with special. And it should be kind of noted that it's not on Christmas Day this year, right? Absolutely, Where yeah. it is obviously normally. Yeah. Have you got any predictions, Boyd? Of what? Of how well it's going to do? Of what's going to happen? <laughs> what, what's going to happen? Yeah. Sorry. I want well the whole the big thing this season, which he's stuck to, which he said right at the start was, is not bringing back any old monsters or villains, anyone we've seen from the past. So it's all new, Doctor. I think maybe finally, in either the finale, which by the way they are not letting anyone see in advance, mm-hmm. unlike to the rest of the series, they've let critics see in advance. They're not letting anyone see the finale, and and I think they're going to have a screening of the of the New Year's one. I think there may be some thing for fans, some old monster or character or something coming back. That's Ooh. my feeling. But Davros. one that but one that no Davros has been in the no. has been in recent seasons. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing they'll resurrect something from Maybe. years yeah, ago that so. hasn't been right. part of I the reboot. So. Yes. Ooh. Yes. James has <laughs> I'm literally wetting my pants and James is looking mm. at me no like I've grown happening. another head. Yeah. That is very exciting. I think so, yeah. This is my excited face. Um what else what else have we got? Oh, can I mention, um, you know, have you heard about Gangs of London, which is Gareth Evans of the Raid fame, mm-hmm. his um, Sky slash Showtime, I think, co-production, big 10-part um, uh, gangsters in London, as the title would suggest, and they've cast Joe Cole, who is just won the Biffa, didn't he, for Best Actor. He did. Okay. And he's brilliant. I love him. He started out in Skins. Um, he is the lead guy in that series, and I'm very much looking forward to the series because I think it's going to be spectacular because it's started by Gareth Evans. I think Joe Cole was brilliant, and the idea of doing gang, gang- so it's international gangsters, so it's, you know, it's going to be Eastern Europeans, and just the kind of fact that London is a global base for dodgy deals. So it's just lots of moped muggings and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. Set mainly in Camden, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so, outside yeah. this office. Yeah. Mm. Did you know that Hulu are developing a John Grisham shared universe oh, yeah. series thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boyd remembers <laughs> to pick up the microphone to talk into it. Well done. It's uh, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a strange the Grishamverse. one. Grishamverse. The Grishamverse, the sort of the JGTVU or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so this yeah. is going to focus on two office books, specifically The Rainmaker and Rogue Lawyer. And they're going to be two companion series designed to stand alone or... or to be viewed simultaneously with storylines kind of intersecting at points with sharing characters and you can kind of watch them both by bouncing back and forth between them which is a slightly cray-cray idea but I'm, I'm down with it. Well, as long as you're in favour of it, that's the main thing. That's it. We'll be yeah. doing a bit of Grisham later on. We will. as well. We will. So, briefly... I shall run through because we're running short on news time. Uh, Rupert Wyatt has dropped out of Showtime's Halo series, which is an interesting one. He was directing uh, that and working as a producer. So, I don't know. We'll see what's going on there. No real reason for that. Ben Mendelsohn will be starring in Stephen King's The Outsider. 
mm-hmm. for HBO, which is another slightly interesting one. We'll be talking about Stephen King a little bit later on oh. as well. Plus, and I know you'll be excited about this, Boyd, Cassian Andor, yeah, yeah, yeah for Disney Plus, yeah. has secured the Americans showrunner, Stephen Schiff. Oh, which is actually very exciting because uh, The Americans was extraordinarily good. Yeah. And I think, weirdly, this has actually made me interested in uh, Cassian Blandor, the <laughs> series. Um, <laughs> I, uh, no, genuinely. Good, no, that is good news. Because yeah. he's they not a character got, yeah. that has a lot going for him, I think, in Rogue One. Like, he is quite flat. He isn't that interesting. Sure. But actually, having Schiff involved, I think, elevates this uh, in a way that, frankly... It needs so that's a that's that's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah. Can I just add that Warship Down is a BBC Netflix co-production, massive. Oh, so you're saying there's absolutely budget. no excuse for it? Is what you're saying? I'm saying huge budget, and they're going for that look. Right, okay. Okay. PlayStation Two sheet. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, also in Star Wars news, Nick Nolte. Oh yeah. Is joining the Mandalorian. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, oh, that is. Nolte. Yeah, that's good. I'm 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 kind of down with that. So yes, he'll be uh, he'll be jumping on that. Another Disney Plus show, obviously. Uh, and did you know? Here's a hot fact for you. It was about 40 years ago. He was in the running for Han Solo. Oh yeah. Alongside uh, people like Christopher mind. Walken and Kurt Russell as well. So you know, he might not have got the job then, but he came back. <laughs> Good on him. He'd be thrilled. He would be thrilled. Right. Terry, do you have any other news you wish to share with us, or are we I think done? it's time we moved on to reviews, bearing in mind it's almost 20 to 6. <laughs> it isn't, I think, Subtle. a fun, Terry. This is a podcast, and people listen to it when they want to. It could be any time. They may well be, day. but we need to spend more time on reviews. We do. Okay, okay. All right. Reviews it is. Let's begin with The Good Place, which we reference repeatedly, uh, both here and on the Empire podcast. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. This has been on Netflix for a while, but it makes its way to E4 this week. So we thought, it, I guess it was the perfect time to uh, get into why people should be watching it. Now, as people will know, I am famously an enemy of fun, joy, and most of all, comedy. With a few notable exceptions, your Faulty Towers, your Blackadder, Red Dwarf, Friends, and maybe a couple of others, early Scrubs, don't know. Uh, But sitcoms especially do tend to leave me quite cold. And yet I think The Good Place is absolutely joyous. What do you think? So I think there's a specific reason for this. Because you are part of a phenomenon. And this this is what I was going to mention. Miserable twats. Yes. And also nerds. (laughs) So I think The Good Place is is unique in appealing to the kind of TV nerd who likes your Game of Throneses and your Star Treks and all of these shows, your Westworlds. Yeah. And yet, it is a mainstream American sitcom on at 9 o'clock on NBC of a week. Here it's on Netflix, which feels more kind of hip. It does. But really, it's an incredibly mainstream show that's attracted people like you because it's not only incredibly funny, it's a semi-fantasy. It's set in the afterlife. It's got a lot of special effects, which do rather well, considering it's on a weekly budget for an American show. And it has big twists and kind of shock moments in a kind of Westworld-style narrative way. Do you mean? So it's kind of it's got the comedy thing. So it appeals to fans of Ted Danson, who is brilliant in it. Um, and but yet it's also got a bit of a nerdy thing going on. So it's quite special in that sense. I think that's what makes it partly as brilliant as it is. Is that it has that appeal to the likes of you, to the likes of me, yeah. to my ilk. But it works brilliantly as a as an incredible fast-moving gag, 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 friend-style piece of American mainstream comedy. You Terry. mean people who normally think they're too intelligent for TV comedy, <laughs> yes. like James Dyer? Exactly. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. So I didn't watch this first time around, um, and I watched it for this very purpose, and I um, I loved it. Utterly charming. I also do have a weird 
Go Which on. one did you watch? Like, where did you start? At the very beginning. Very beginning. Oh, good, good on you. Um, and oh yeah, well, always, always start at the very as beginning. As E4 is starting at the beginning, they're not starting in the middle, James. No, but it's utterly, <laughs> utterly charming. Um, and I do think it, it's, you know, the premise is really interesting, but it, it kind of doesn't shy away from dealing with the kind of texture and the nuances and the complexities of life. I think she is. I mean, Kristen Bell is just. Oh, she's she's godlike. Uh, absolutely remarkable her delivery is brilliant but i can totally see what you're saying about the likes of him yeah. <laughs> pointing at james quite aggressively yeah. which is you you think this is intelligent enough comedy right yeah yes. i don't because my problem with uh you know shit like anchorman and stuff like that is it's just lowest common denominator I hate anchorman. yeah and but most people love it but i just the humor is so base and just like me and chris hewitt get into this all the time because he fucking loves it but he is an idiot and i know i can say that because i know he doesn't fucking listen to this podcast <laughs> so it's absolutely fine but we like but then equally i do like dodgeball and that's also stupid but hey what are you gonna do but i think this it doesn't just have intelligent humor it has a spread of humor like it hits Stupid notes, mm. obscure notes, you know, slightly, you know, off the wall notes. Like it has a, a broad spectrum of comedy appeal. So it's one of these shows where I think, regardless of your sense of humour, there's something here for you. Whereas something like Veep, for example, funny, very intelligent. I don't find it in any way amusing. It's just mm. not my sense of humour. But this, I think it does mm. It does have that sort of broad, sort of four-quadrant appeal, if you like. But you're also right on the twist, right? Because it doesn't do... I mean, I, I was a fan of Westworld, but also part of me found it quite obtuse towards the end, which is we are going to do these incredibly contrived upending and twists and you and it was like head spinning it was exhausting to watch it in the end you're like i'm knackered just trying to work out what's happening and we're constantly going to surprise you and that became deeply unsurprising yeah. by the end where they it isn't contrived like that it's really interesting yeah, they, yeah. they are committed seemingly to proper storytelling mm. which i think a lot of comedy sometimes throws out the window um and i think that makes it a much more more much easier to kind of commit to watching it and for, as you say for everybody to get something slightly different out of it right because yeah. something yeah. like westworld is pitched to be a very specific impenetrable type of <laughs> impenetrable and it's part of its its mm. kind of thing is we are going to make it really difficult for you yeah. to understand what's happening yeah, they don't make it, they don't, they, it's not trying to be a puzzle particularly. So it lays out its universe quite carefully over the initial kind of episodes of season one. But then, so when the surprises come, it, it, it's like a genuine shop. He's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, what you've yeah. done. And then, they'll, and then they'll kind of overturn what you think is going on. So it's not, my issue with Westworld and a few shows like it is it's constantly, it's not, it's, it's, giving you its 10 different timelines and jumping around just so that that is the trick they're playing on you constantly. Yeah. It could just tell the story in a more straightforward way and give you other twists and turns in, in the more in a more I feel less challenging, grindingly <laughs> repetitive way. <laughs> <laughs> this now this is a show that reinvents itself every five minutes. Like right. it reinvented itself very in a major way at the end of season one. It's reinvented itself in season two. Season three it seems to reinvent itself every three episodes or so. And season three has been the patchiest so far. Like mm. I've thought that it's lost a plot a couple of times, but each time it has rallied, reinvented itself again, and managed to kind of claw back into my good graces. And what's quite interesting is they script and record all this before it goes out so they're not responding 
to viewer feedback on this. They're course correcting on their own as they go. It's absolutely fascinating. I have no clue where this show is going from one episode to the next, uh, which I think is actually very yeah. rare on television these days. And kind of going back to what you were saying about the different comedy types, I think it actually shares some DNA with Friends. In that, You know how mm. in the different Friends, like each one of them, had a very distinct archetype and a very distinct type of comedy. Like Phoebe and Joey were kind of a little bit stupid comedy. You know, Ross was very physical. Chandler had a lot of sarcasm in it. It's the same thing here. You know, you've oh, got yeah. Jason is your Joey slash Phoebe character. You've got Tahani doing a very slightly awkward, stilted comedy. You've got Cheedy does very gentle, sort of like really appealing, amiable comedy. So each character brings something different. And I think that's what caters to everyone. It's such a good show. That's the that's, that's what I mean by it being a classic American sitcom. Yeah. That's that's mm. that's how they work. And so it has that, and all of the, works on all these other levels as well. It is it's it's one of the most original mm. sitcoms for a long, long time. Oh, absolutely! I think everyone should watch the show. A few people because we we have banged about it a lot on on Empire. And banged few, about it. Banged about it. We <laughs> bang, 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 banged about it is what we've done. Oh, Empire <laughs> in joke. But and and some people have gone to it off the back of that and actually come out and said, "This is shit. What are you oh. talking about?" But, Who are those name these stupid? I mean. You know, I'm not really one to point fingers at people for not appreciating comedy, so I don't feel I can really <laughs> criticise. But uh, but so it doesn't appeal to everyone, clearly, but, right. but most people. And like Jamila Jamil's in it. Yeah, she is, uh, and she's awesome. She the second is. most extraordinary career turn after Ricky Whittle. Maybe even more so. Where did she start out? She's like a TV presenter. T- she on. was e- um, T4? Yeah. T4, the, that pop show that Alex Zane was on. Not a clue. Um, she did E4, she did kind of entertainment presenting... Um, but also the, the work she's doing in terms of I Wei. Yeah, Have you seen a, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I Wei movement on social, social media. Um, she's so outspoken yeah. about um, female celebrities taking money for weight loss endorsements and all of that. I mean, she Photoshopping, is, diet she pills. She is yeah. dragging people left, right and centre. And I am here for every single bit of it. No, I think she's pretty awesome. So yet another reason to go to the good yes. place. So it starts from the beginning on E4 on Thursday, and it will be on every week. Yeah, and they're all on Netflix as well, if you have that. So get the To The Good Place now. Next up is Castle Rock, set in the town of the same name, which long-time Stephen King fans will be very familiar with. Uh, This is a sort of supernatural mystery that weaves threads from dozens of King properties into a single Kingian narrative, uh, with Easter eggs and references galore. Boyd, how is your King lore? Are you you Um, au fait? I'm not really au fait. I've read quite a few King novels not religiously and I've watched quite a lot of King films and TV shows but I'd not, I don't follow them yeah like you probably do no I don't oh. I'm not no I'm, I'm not at all down with King Law the only thing I can tell you for sure is that Jack Reacher exists in the Stephen King universe because he is mentioned in Under the Dome the book therefore Jack Reacher is canonical in Stephen King, therefore oh, in this show. Oh, so my God. Under the Dome was an annoying show, wasn't it? Anyway, I enjoyed Under the Dome. Guys, can I tell you my um, Stephen King story? Yes. Okay, so um, when I was 21, I went to Santa Monica in the United States of America. Yes. And I went to this karaoke bar, this British karaoke bar that I can't remember the name of in Santa Monica with my boyfriend at the time, and we went for karaoke night. And this guy gets up. And start singing that song when I was 21 or when mm. or that basically that sad song. Yeah. And I was like, that guy looks really like Stephen King. And there was a lady with him and I said, hello, excuse me, ma'am. Who is that man? Because he looks really like Stephen King. And she goes, yep, that is Stephen King. And I was like, the Stephen King. She was like, yep, one and the very same. Therefore, was, was she a cowboy? <laughs> therefore, I have seen Stephen King do wow, karaoke. that is impressive. Unless she was lying and it was like Ray from down the street. But 
I think it was Stephen God, King. God, it could have been like Star is Born. He could have come up, you know, gone, oh, I love you. I Jerry. could have yeah. made him famous. Yeah, he could have made you famous. <laughs> yeah, Even Stephen more King, famous. he was climbing, <laughs> he was crawling along a bar <laughs> with a rose in his teeth. Yes. Yep. The next thing you know, he was playing piano for me. Yeah. The rest is history. I went to the pub with his daughter-in-law. That's oh, the closest I've really done. <laughs> There's a lot of drink-related Stephen King anecdotes. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Anyway, yes. No. So you're not down with it, but there are no. shitloads of references yes. in this. Like there's a bit where there's a newspaper cutting when it's like, you know, uh, sort of rabid dog rampages, which is a Cujo reference. Uh, but also from a casting point of view, so Sissy Spacek, Carrie is in this. Yep. Yes. Um, Bill Skarsgård, the Pennywise, Pennywise is, in the, is in this as well. So this essentially largely seems to focus around Andre Holland, who plays Henry Diva, a lawyer who kind of, he disappeared as a child and there's a period of lost time and his father died under mysterious circumstances. He moved away from Castle Rock and has now come back. But the reason he's come back is because the Shawshank Prison, which is a major part of this series, uh, they discover after the death of the warden when he kills himself in a particularly gruesome way, they find a boy locked in a cage in the basement of Shawshank Prison. And this is Bill Skarsgård looking, if anything, more creepy than he does in his clown makeup. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the uh, Hollanders come back to town. He's trying to work out what's going on with his past, but also what's going on with this youth that they have found in the basement of the prison and it's all a little bit hmm interesting not everything is as it seems it's very very Stephen King-esque like I say I've not read loads and loads of his books I've read a few of them but it is creepy as all hell and it's extremely well put together and I am led to believe if you're really into King it is an absolute wealth of references so I think King people will love it even more well, so I was a little bit of a Stephen King nut when I was a little girl because um, uh, I used to love reading. We, we didn't have any, many books at home without wanting to get the violins out. <laughs> but my nana um, had massive bookshelves and she really loved Stephen King. And I used so I read loads of King when I was a little girl at my nana's house. And I found this in part a little bit like Stephen King bingo. Yeah, like it yeah. was kind of Easter egg-tastic to the point where... I found it a little bit distracting. I think there's kind of a line between that lovely universe where you see all those nods and you kind of recognise them and there's something lovely. And seeing, you know, this is basic on scene screen in a Stephen King thing is really, there's something quite powerful in that. But there were moments for me where it was like that kind of overtook mm. the storytelling. I was so distracted by that. It's and not heavy on plot, is it? It's, yes. it's heavy on references. Yes, Hev- exactly that, exactly mm. that. I was like, more story, less Easter eggs, please, at some point, would be lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think I think it's kind of beautifully filmed, though. I was slightly, I slightly wonder why, because this was on quite a long time ago in on American TV, um, and it's taken a while to get here, and it's on Stars Play, we should say, which is part of Amazon Prime. It's quite a kind of, it's been given a slightly obscure home, if you like, in this it country, has. which is weird, but... You know, because in America, I think it was you know there was a lot it was a lot of buzzed about. There was a lot of attention played to. I've even seen it in a few um, American critics end of year lists. Yeah. The best thing, particularly there's an episode particularly focused on Sissy Spacek's character, mm. which I haven't seen it, which apparently is one of the best episodes, single episodes of the year. So I'm I'm going to carry on watching it. I mean, I, I do find it. I, I'm intrigued. And I like the cast is fantastic. All of these people are great. Is, Everyone yeah. in it is really Scott good. Scott Glenn is in it. Yeah, and it kind of looks like a, a fair, you know pretty lavish piece of um, TV making. So I like it, but I do think it, 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 they really have. It's like right opening episode. We're going to make it quite clear this is a Stephen King universe. I have as many references as we possibly can. Presumably, it'll calm down with all that after a while. So I'm looking forward to when it slightly calms down. Mm. 
Okay, well, that is Castle Rock. Also out this week is Making Another Murderer, a.k.a. Netflix's The Innocent Man, uh, despite being true crime. So this is actually based on a bestseller by John Grisham, albeit a non-fiction one. And it's a documentary focusing on two murders in the Oklahoma town of Ada in the 1980s. So without telling us whether he, she, they... Did it, Terry? Does it deliver the murderific goods? Well, so here's the thing, right, is I don't want to say too much about what actually happens because I knew nothing about this going in and I feel better for it. And the facts are out there if you want to find them. It's it's all over the internet. But I would suggest going into this without knowing how it kind of unravels, Mm. right? So it is based on this 1980 murder um, and a guy who was basically five days away from being executed for this murder. Um, He'd been on death row for 11 years. Um, And it's very much like making a murder in terms of the construction of it, which is it's using archive footage where possible, lots of new interviews. So the source material is very similar, actually. And I suppose... For me, this is really what I struggled with a little bit in terms of, you know, every single one of these cases is is tragic and is is kind of, you know, um, valid in its own right. But Making a Murderer did such an exceptional thing when it came out. And we'd never seen a real-life crime. We've seen plenty of, you know, I bang on about them every single week, plenty of procedural dramas. There's plenty of cheap, nasty, low-grade, down-market crime documentaries. There's a lot on Channel 5 every single night if you want to turn (laughs) on your telly. We'd never seen proper, what I would call a proper cinematic treatment of a true-life crime documentary. That's very much in this vein again. For me, you lose some of the impact because we have seen this with Making a Murder and The Staircase, arguably. This is now kind of a genre in its own right. The case is compelling. Um, The new interviews are really fascinating. But for me, it is kind of now one of, in a kind of type of programme that we've seen before. Therefore, the kind of impact that I think culturally Making a Murderer had this will not have the same impact i don't think yeah i think it's it's, i think it was so interesting how um so this you know netflix has has produced this show and the title sequence is literally like making a murder to the point where the visuals of it um the music there's like an acoustic song with a little bit of violin which sounds exactly like the song that omens making a murder it's almost like so it's like i think in the big world of television if you were doing, if you were making this document, if the BBC was making this documentary, they'd go, we can't make it look exactly like the Netflix one. Yeah. Whereas Netflix is like, fuck that. We want everything to be kind of like, for the viewers to know, this is the new Making it a win- Murderer. Yeah, it wins. Yeah. That yeah. one last year, this yeah. is going to... So it literally could be called Making a Murderer 2, even though it wasn't the fact that we've already got the new season of Making a Murderer. I, it is a really interesting case. It completely comes alive at the end mm. of episode one, and then you're like, right, now I need to carry on watching it, which is what the job it sets out yeah. to do. John Grisham's an interesting element of it. Keep, keeps coming to him as a talking head. Obviously, he wrote the book. And he's quite kind. I don't know. There's something slightly... Uh, I'm not convinced by him in a way. You but think he did it? No, I don't think <laughs> he did it. But almost like he's weirdly unperceptive so far, anyway. Well, I also... I didn't fully agree with him as a talking right. head. I was like, oh, great. If you base it on his book... Your st- part of your storytelling job is done for you. You yes, use that as exactly. the structure for the show. You use that as a structure for your script. This is going to be great. But what what you do when you've got him as an expert, yeah. it goes weirdly meta. And I'm like, it's, you've it's got odd. nothing to fucking do with it, mate. <laughs> right. I will get Gresham off the screen. That's what I was trying to say. And um, it has a little recreation. It has a little dramatic, which obviously Making Murder didn't yeah. do. I think Making Murder is more of a rigorous piece of filmmaking as well. Yeah. It had very set rules about what it was going to do and what it wasn't going to do. Whereas this employs all the do- documentary true crime kind of things 
And it's, it, yeah, it's I'm fascinated by it. I'm going to carry on watching it. I'm going to work out what the hell went on. But it's definitely no making a murderer. Okay. We should and say it, it starts on Netflix next Friday. Next six Friday. episodes drop, but I don't think we said when um, uh, Castle starts on the Stars play as part of Amazon Prime on the same day on Friday the fourteenth. As FYI, as does Chilling Adventures of Sabrina: A Midwinter's Tale. Yes, which I'm going to touch on for two reasons. Touching one because it still doesn't have the definite article at the beginning of it, and it annoys the hell out of me. But more than that, it's because when we were talking about what we watched this week, I completely forgot to say what I was watching this week. And what I am oh, watching yeah. <laughs> yeah, is Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which I have gone back to and I'm enjoying a lot. I'm enjoying the tone of it. It is, it's a kind of like a slightly more violent, more satanic Buffy. There's a lot of talk of Satan in this show. It's quite full on. Uh, but I'm working my way through it, so I haven't watched the Midwinter Tale yet, which is essentially the Sabrina Christmas special, which is an interesting one, because Netflix don't do this a lot, but they did it with Sensei, as yeah, I recall, they did, and they yeah. did a Christmas special for yeah. that, which involved, as I recall, also a kind of a weird nightclub orgy Yeah. Eight-way massive orgy. sexathon, yeah. which is extraordinary. There isn't one of those in this. You'll be surprised to hear. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're a, if you're a big fan of you know Satan and the <laughs> Church of Night, then you'd be well advised to check this one out. Uh, this also drops, as we said, on Friday. It's a big day, Friday, December the fourteenth. Now, I was I was saving a special treat for the end of this podcast. I'd moved the Banshee segment to the <laughs> end, so we'd end on a high. But we have in fact ended on running out of time because, boy, do you no, have I to go. No, I can give you five more minutes. Oh, I don't on. think five minutes will do it. Oh, I really? don't okay. think we've got All justice right. for it. I said I think we can do Banshee every single week, a a <laughs> archive show that nobody's watching. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it's a tough I mean, challenge. Do, do you want to do the Banshee segment? Have well, you, you prepared a show? Yes, I've prepared a show. Have you I prepared haven't. a show? Oh, okay. In that case, that's <laughs> not it. Tell you what, we'll leave the Banshee yeah. segment until next week. Fair and we'll enough. call we it just, something that isn't the Banshee can we, segment. And can we have it so it doesn't have to be something people haven't heard of? No, no, it doesn't have to be something they haven't heard of. I'm just saying there's no point recommending a show they've already seen. So pick something that maybe is a lesser, a lesser watch. Yeah, but in like other words, what? Oh, well, I, I can't tell you. Like, basically, what you're saying is don't pick The Wire, Breaking Bad or West Wing. Yeah, or Buffy. Exactly. Like you take it. So, it's, so can I talk about the OC? No. Yeah. Oh, I think you can. No. The yeah, everyone's so seen the mean? OC. Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. Like, remember Jericho? <laughs> James is going to send out a list of valid. I, I will send out a list of pre-approved Who shows that you can talk about. Things that only I have watched. Yeah. Essentially right. To. Next week, Terry. Next week, I shall pick a show. Boy will pick a show, and you shall research and talk about Stargate SG One. I talk. No, no, talk into it. I'm not counting any of this. We're keeping this in. Why does it have to be something that people haven't heard of? Well, because I see the segment as being very much a a celebration of something, but almost like informative. So it's like, oh, go and watch this. I want people to go away and think, oh, I understand the function of it. But how many shows do you think there are that they won't have seen? Uh, I've almost certainly got enough to last us to the end of 2019. That's because you are a freak. (laughs) The end. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's a fair that's place fair. to end. Okay, well, we'll end with that, and we'll pick up Bye. with the Banshee segment. <laughs> Henry had to cut the band. They cut the Banshee. No. So, the banshee. so recommendation of the week. What are we saying? Ooh. Good place. It's the good place, yes, isn't it? Place. It's got to be the good place. No, no challenge. If you Season haven't one, seen it, see get it. To the front. If you have seen it, see it again. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes. This week's episode, do let us know what you think on the social medias. Uh, we are at Pilot TV Mag, uh, and I heartily recommend you hop over to our iTunes page and read the reviews, which have taken, I might add, a turn. Uh, not for the worst, but to address the balance. There's some Boyd love turning oh up on God. there. Uh, someone even said something nice about me. Well, well sort of. The sort only of, Boyd love I saw was someone said he, nice. Boyd's okay after saying no, that. No, there was like someone says Boyd is a god. Oh, was that? Oh, I, one point. Yeah, I mean, it might have been Terry, right. but. <laughs> 
Um, someone says something sort of nice about me. Someone else said, was it? I have an upper-class twang, which I take oh. issue with. They I said, Downton. Jones Dyer's upper-class twang isn't normally my kind of thing, but he seems like a belting bloke, I think is exactly I mean, what I am says. at best middle-class. I think that's a, that's an offer of a date, practically. You think? Yeah. Well, well, we'll I see. I'll take it. You know what? Yeah. I will absolutely take it. Uh, and while you're on there reading those for your own personal entertainment, do leave us a five-star rating. Jamie, I am specifically talking to you. That's it. We're done. Thanks. Bye. Pilot out. <laughs>